There's a couple things I want you to look up here. Uh, every kid, you should have gotten a candy cane on the way in, and also a, a piece of paper and some crayons. So kids, this is what you're going to do while, while I talk to your parents, okay? First of all, I want to tell you a little story about the candy cane. Um, if you uh, notice, it's, it's in the shape of, if, if you look this way, it's in the shape of a J, or you can turn it over and it looks kind of like a shepherd's crook. Either one, you can, you can use it for the, what I want you to do is think about these things and let the candy cane remind you of these kinds of things. First, if you notice, it's also red and white, and it's in the shape of a J. So the reason why it's white is to remind us of the purity of Christ, the perfect life that he lived for us. And the reason why it's red is because it's also telling us about the blood that was shed on the cross for us. And that can that can be a reminder for you kids whenever you're eating it today and you're noticing that it's red and it's white. You can think the purity of Jesus has made me pure when I believe in him and I put my faith in him. And the red part is for the blood that was shed. And it was also in the shape of a J. Which remind you that it's all about Jesus. You can turn it over and make it like a shepherd's crook if you want and say that he's our chief, chief shepherd as well. Whichever one you want. Either one of those is fine with me. Um, but I'm going <clears> to... <throat> I should give this to Ben for his awesome voice right now. Maybe it'll make it better for the rest of the songs. Um, and also, you'll notice that you got one of these on the way in. And you'll see that it's got some, some verses that we're going to be talking about. And it's got some questions that you can answer. And a an opportunity for you to draw just an incredible masterpiece for us. So go ahead and get, get out your crayons. I want you to spend at least 30 minutes on this picture. Don't, don't try to do it real fast and, you know, and throw it down and that's it. I want you to eat your candy cane and color this picture for at least 30 minutes. Okay? Does that sound good, kids? We got a deal? Let me hear you. We got a deal, kids? All right. I got thumbs up from, from uh, someone in the back, so we'll take that as, as, a, as what we'll do. All right. So... Um, Adults, we're going to be in Luke chapter 2, and we're going to be in verses 1 through 14. 1 through 14, and I'm hoping um, that today's sermon will be, and it's, you know, a traditional Christmas story for us, but I'm hoping that it'll be a very encouraging story as we look at the birth of our Savior, as well as kind of consider that we've got a whole new year, and maybe you want to make some changes in your life, and there's a there's one, uh, a couple things I want to show you in here that I'm hoping can be pretty encouraging for you as you look towards the new year, um, especially if maybe you consider where you are right now in your walk with Christ, and maybe there's some things that you would want to change, some some changes you want to, would want to make. And so we're going to let this text be something that we're going to uh, look at and, and hopefully be an encouraging Christmas Day sermon for you as you look at the next year. Let's, let's uh, stand and read verses 1 through 14 in honor of God's word. Chapter 2 in the the book of Luke, verses 1 through 14. And it says, In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of of Syria. And all went to be registered, each in his own town. And Joseph went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy 
that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would bless this time as we look into your word and that you would use these verses to encourage us in our walk with Christ and encourage us as we consider um, the birth of your son and that we would want to let these verses be something that encourages us to want to be deep followers of Christ, deep worshipers of Jesus with our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. <clears throat> so let's let's kind of go through this little narrative here, verses 1 through 14. And um, one of the main verses that we're going to get to, which is verse 11, is something I want you to see. But I want to build into that before we get to verse 11. Um, there's really three things I want you to see in that. But let's let's kind of go through the narrative in a traditional way. And as we get to 11, I'm, I'm hoping you'll see... Uh, the encouraging part for us. It says, In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was a very common thing, common occurrence back then. They wanted to know how many people there were because they wanted to be able to tax them. They wanted to be able to know how many there were. And so Joseph and Mary were good people and they were going to obey this. And it says this was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. Um, and so this registration is, is a census for taxation. And, and because Mary and Joseph were good, hard, honest working people who obeyed the laws, they were going to do what was what was said. And then it says in verse three, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem. Just a side note. Um, if you look on the map, he is traveling from north to south. And we're like, well, that doesn't seem right. Why would they call it up? Because it's, they didn't deal with north to south. They deal with geographical kind of things and topography. And he was going uphill. And so that's why it's up. Anyway, that's just a side note. Because he was of the house and lineage of David. Now, we know Joseph was in the house of David, as was Mary. So they're both in the house and lineage of, lineage of David, which was told to us in the Old Testament, prophecies being fulfilled that the Son of God would come from the house and lineage of David. All right, so it says to uh, register with Mary, his betrothed, which we talked about last night. This is this is uh, an engagement, but in order to break off this engagement, a divorce had to take place. So it's a little bit more meaningful than engagement now. You can't just kind of take off the ring and say we're done back then. It was, uh, you had to, you had to, Go through kind of a proceeding for divorce. And this betrothal always lasted a year. And at the year found its uh, final consummation, if you will, at the marriage. All right. So and it says to be registered with Mary, his betrothed. And here it is. Who was with child? Who was with child? Now, I want to read a text for to you from Isaiah 714. And this is the prophecy of the Old Testament telling us about this woman who was a virgin, who was with child. It says this in Isaiah 7, 14. It says, therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin. Uh, there's a little controversy on this in this text in Isaiah 14 because some people translate it uh, as a young 
lady, but um, which is the right. Tra- this is that is correct. It is it is a young lady. But in context, we know that it's meaning behold the virgin. And, and that makes only sense. And it says in the sentence before that, therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. It's not a real big, huge sign. If a woman gets pregnant, <laughs> that's a pretty common occurrence. And so the Lord is wanting us to see this is a pretty big deal. And so we know that's a big deal whenever the word. Um, is translated virgin. That's a sign. That's a huge sign that there's a virgin who is who is pregnant. That's a big deal. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Shall call his name Emmanuel, which we know means God with us. And so told in the Old Testament in Isaiah seven fourteen, back over to here, we see and we've already heard from last night where we've been told that the angel came to Mary and said, you're going to have a son. Um, and so to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who is with child. So Mary's with child, and this is um, by the Holy Spirit. This is by the Holy Spirit. Verse 6, and it says, While they were there, the time came for her to give birth. So while they're ready to go and, and be registered, the time came that she was going to give birth. Um, and she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. Uh, most commentators that I've read say that this was more than likely uh, in a cave. Uh, Mary and Joseph, they went to an inn. There, w- there was no room. We know the story. The, the bin- innkeeper was really mean, and he wasn't. He was just out of room. So he said, you can go over where the animals are. It wasn't like he was being mean to them. It's just that that was a common place. We're out of room. You can go over there. That's, that's one of the places. So they go in there. It's more likely a cave. And so the cave had kind of maybe a shelf or something where the, the horses would eat out of. They'd put food in there and the horses would literally eat out of it. And this is where they had no other place to lay him. So they wrapped him in some clothes and they laid Jesus right there in a horse trough. Now, if we can just consider uh, for one second the humility of God. In this. Consider where he was before this. He was in heaven, surrounded by angels all the time, singing out his praises forever and ever and ever. And the Son of God goes from that to being willing to say, I'm willing to humble myself to go and be born of humble estate to very poor people, be born in a cave, and then you're going to wrap me in just random cloths and you're going to lie me. And a horse trough. That is unbelievable humility. Just remarkable humility. Uh, Sometimes we kind of fly past the fact that God became man. And we consider, yeah, we're men. We're not so bad. This is is pretty amazing. God became man. And not only did he become man. He didn't come as a big, huge, grand king. He came in one of the most humble estates. Born to two very poor people. and, And came and was born in a cave. And was laid in a horse trough. So there was no place. And it says they laid him in a manger. There's no place in the inn. Now, we're going to move over to a, a second kind of narrative. This is, this is Act 2. And we're going to see uh, some shepherds <clears throat> that were out in a field. It said in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. This is, this is what they do. They, shepherds watch sheep all day long. Sheep, sheep, sheep. Here they are. And then all of a sudden... A very different day for shepherds happens to them. You, would, you can just imagine. They, they, are not, they haven't read this story and they don't know that this is about to happen. Just, just picture, you're just, that's all you do every day. You know, you're watching sheep and it's nighttime and you're trying to go to sleep and here we go. And this is what happens. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them 
and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And obviously they were tremendously freaked out. They were scared to death. I mean, that is what's going to happen. It says, and an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were filled with fear. You and I would also have this exact same response. If all we knew was sheep, sheep, sheep were laying around and all of a sudden an angel kind of drops down from from the sky and this glory fills the entire sky and starts shining down on us, we would be like, what the world's going on? I'm a little bit scared. And so this is a normal thing. And, and just like last week or last night, whenever we were reading the story about the angel appearing, appearing to Mary, this angel has to say the same thing to the sheep because everybody, you never notice when an angel appears to someone, the first line that the angel has to ha- kind of lead with is, don't be scared, <laughs> which is, I would assume, the very common occurrence for all of us. I mean, if an angel appeared to you later on tonight, you're just kind of chilling out in your backyard, appreciating Christmas, and all of a sudden an angel drops down, you're going to freak out and they're going to you would want them to say it's not going to happen more than likely. Um, very, very likely not going to happen. But we would all be very scared. And so they have to say to him, an angel said to them, fear not, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news. So the angel's going to bring him good news. This is really the institute of what would be the plan of God from eternity past to save man. And so he's bringing him good news. And it says of great joy. And then look at this. That will be for all people. That will be for all people. So what is this this beginning of the institution of good news, the eternal plan of God to save mankind? What is this good news? Uh, in other places, we'll, we'll see that this word being used called the gospel. Gospel good news are synonymous terms. Um, and just really fast, uh, this is what good news means. And, and by saying really fast, I'm not trying to minimize the importance of it at all. But it means this. We're sinners. Every single one of us are sinners. And this is why it's amazing that God will become a man. It's because we're sinners and he was not. And we must be forgiven for our sin. And the only way that this can happen is that if Jesus would come and die for us, he would come and take the punishment for us. And if we put our faith in him, we can be forgiven for our sins. And so this is the plan. God had an eternal plan from eternity past that he would send a son. And this is the beginning of this plan starting to physically unfold um, before their eyes. And so he says, fear not, for I bring you good news of great joy. And then it's for all people. And then it says, for unto you is born this day. Uh, Now, we don't know that this was actually December 25th, 2000 years ago. Uh, This is the day we celebrate it. Uh, And then it says this in the city of David. And of course, he would be born in the city of David, fulfilling all the prophecies. We're going to see three terms here. And I want to use those three terms as our as our unpacking of of hopefully what would be an encouraging part of the sermon for you. And and thinking into where you are right now, spiritually, where you are right now as a believer in Jesus. And maybe you'd be challenged to think about uh, what your next year would be like, what your next five or ten years would look like. It says a savior who is Christ the Lord, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And so what I want you to think about this, um, I want you to think of these three terms and I want you to ask yourself, do you know him as Savior? Do you know him as the Christ? And do you know him as the Lord? Those are the three questions I want you to ask. So we can go ahead and put up the first one here. Obviously, it's Savior. Um, It'll come up here in just a second. Uh, when you look at the text, it says, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior. A Savior. 
I feel like it's going to come up. It's not going to come up. Oh, that's right. I didn't give you my thing. All right. So uh, Savior. All right. So here's the first thing that I want you to ask yourself. Do you know him as Savior? The one who came and died for us. For, for the people that don't know Christ, for people that don't know Christ, you might not know him as Savior. And so I just explained to you the gospel. The gospel is that we're all born sinners and we all must be forgiven for our sin. And this can only happen, you can only be forgiven if you put your faith in Christ. So the first question is for people that don't know Jesus. Do you know him as Savior? Is he someone that you've met? Is it someone that because you've put your faith in him, you've received forgiveness for your sin? That's the first question I have. The second question I have is for people um, maybe that are saying, all right, I understand who he is and I understand this message. Uh, or for those of you that maybe... Uh, are Christians, but you haven't necessarily understood everything about about Christ. I want to know if you know him as the Christ, as the Messiah. The Old Testament is filled with texts that tell us about the coming of Jesus. The Old Testament tells us over and over that there's this man who's going to come. And as we've been going through the book of Matthew, the kind of big idea theme that we've named the book of Matthew or that we've named the series for the book of Matthew is Messiah. Because over and over, this word Christ means Messiah. And it's talking about the one that's being talked about in the Old Testament. And so the second question I have for you is, for those who are in Christ or don't know, have you looked and considered all the amazing promises and prophecies of the Old Testament that have told us about this coming king that is going to come and save us? And do you know him as the Christ? Do you know him as the Messiah? And so I think that, especially in the South... Um, because going to church is so common and living in a, a culture where we know Jesus is so common, whether we're believers or not, we've spent time in church and we've heard this message over and over. Those two things are pretty common. We've heard of, of Jesus being the savior of the world. We, we are here on, on Christmas, right? Um, but the third thing is this, and this is the one I really want us to kind of drill down in on is do we know Christ as our Lord? Do we know Christ as our Lord? Jesus isn't someone that we just kind of come to and get saved and know that we're going to heaven and then everything's okay. And then we can say, now that I'm going to heaven, I appreciate you saving me. I'm going to go do whatever I want to. He wants us to know him, not just as Savior in Christ, but also as Lord. And this is, I'm hoping, going to be the challenging part for you as you consider where you are spiritually right now. I want you to think about um, what's going on in your life. Are you where you want to be? Do you, do you find that each morning when you wake up, you have deep affections to be with Christ? Or is it, well, I want to, but I don't do it. Or is it, I don't even think about it. Or is it, well, I read my Bible once a week because that's when I finally remember it because it's Sunday and I'm like, oh, I'm going to church. I'm going to read my Bible before I go to church. Where are you when it comes to wanting to spend time with Christ? Not only that, where are you when it comes to um, seeing sin be killed in your life? Are you okay and comfortable with continual habitual sin in your life. Let me let me read one text to you um, for those of you. And I'm not saying for those of you who have sin happen in your life, you hate that it's in your life and you're doing everything you can to put it to death. I'm talking about being OK with continual habitual sin. This is what uh, first John has to say um, for those 
who are continually finding themselves in sin. It says this, 1 John 1, 6. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, if we say, yeah, I have Jesus as my savior, but we continually walk in darkness, we continually find ourselves willingly falling off into sin. While we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. This is second, uh, 1 John 2, 4. It also says, whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. So where are you? Not only in regard to spending time with him, having deep affections with him, being in the word every day, uh, being in prayer. But where are you in regard to your sin? You can't just know him as savior and be say and, and, and be satisfied with saying, yes, I want you to um, save me, but I want to do whatever I want. You have to find these deep affections. You also have to find um, a, a desire to, to see continual habitual sin put to death. Third thing I want to ask is this. Where are you in regard to um, being a disciple maker? Where are you in regard to being a disciple maker? For some of us, that might be the hardest thing. We, we hate sin. We, we put it to death. We're pretty good at not doing these horrible sins and having habitual things happen in our life. And we love Christ enough that we, we see the value in spending time with him every day. But when it comes to being a disciple maker, you don't ever tell anybody about Christ. You don't invest in unbelievers. The only people you know and hang out with are Christians. Now, it is a bad thing if the only people you know and hang out with are non-Christians, because that's going to be a tough life. You're going to find yourself more than likely being in a lot of sin. But if the only people you know and hang out with are Christians, that's not good. If you've never walked next door and met your, met your neighbors and just to see where they are, if you've never invited them over for anything, these can be problems. And, and who is your neighbor? It's not necessarily the person that lives next door to you, obviously. We know, you know what I mean by the word neighbor. So... When we're asking this third question, do we know Christ as Lord? This is really kind of going against cultural Christianity in the South, which just says, show up on Sunday, do your thing, be seen, and then go back and live your life the rest of the, the, rest of the week, the rest of the way you want to. I want to know for all of us, as, especially as we're maybe considering Christ's birth today, that he came not just to save you, but he came also that you would give you, him your entire life. Think about this. God created the womb of the woman that would enable his development as a baby. And then Jesus did this. He created the very womb that would enable his development as a baby that would carry him to term and that would give birth to him. He created the own, the, the very womb that, that did that. I didn't do that for my mom. <laughs> None of us did that. So here's the deal. If the person that is able to do that for his own mother, if he's able to do that, certainly that person is not only worthy of us just saying, yes, I want to mentally assent to the fact that you're the savior of the world, but also I am willing to give you my entire life. If you're going to go to the cross and die for me, and I'm going to receive forgiveness of you and not have to spend eternity in hell, but get to spend eternity in heaven with you, then these years you give me after I've come to Christ, after I've come to faith in you, the years you give me as I live my life, I certainly not only want to make you my Savior, but I have to make you my Lord. Everything about my life has to be for you. I want to find deep affections for you. What happens if you don't have that? 
you do your devotions anyway, and you pray like crazy that morning. God, this morning, I don't find deep affections for you. As a matter of fact, what I find deep affections for is my pillow and the blankets and being warm and sleeping. That's what I find deep affections for. And I find deep affections for staying awake late at night rather than going to bed earlier so I can do this. And God's telling you, you do this anyway. You get in the word and you say, Lord, give me these affections. Use your word this morning to open up my eyes to the gospel, to remember the beauty of the fact that you gave your life for me. So I will have affections for you, not just this day, but every day. You say, God, I see sin in my life, the way I speak to my kids, the way I speak to my wife, the way I speak to other people, or I just have enticements of temptation all around me. Give me, Lord, verses that I, I can read that can come to my mind that were brought by the Holy Spirit. And I have a sword, which is your word, to fight off temptation and sin. And also, Lord, I see people all around me that don't know Christ. If I'm going to make you not just my Savior, not just my Messiah or Christ, but also my Lord. When people around me don't know you, give me deep affections that that weep for the lost, that care so much about their salvation, that I'm going to suffer maybe persecution, maybe people um, saying nasty words to me, or maybe even people thinking that I'm crazy and some level of embarrassment, if you will. Because you're not just my Savior, you're not just my Christ, but you're my Lord. You are the master of my life. You are the one who will receive unyielding worship. From me every day of my life. I won't do it perfectly, Lord, but I want to give me the power by the spirit to do it. So God is in this beautiful, traditional passage about the birth of his son, reminding us that even as a baby, he expects you not just to look at him as savior in Christ, but also as Lord He wants you to be an unyielding worshiper of him. So I have a statement that I want you to remember this morning when we consider the birth of Jesus. It's this. Look at let me let me let you see um, that in in verse 12 and 13. Look at this and says this will be a sign for you whenever the angel speaking to the shepherds and it says and this will be a sign for you that you will find Actually, when it says, and this will be a sign, the original Greek is the sign. That's just for free. This will be the sign for you. But anyway, you will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes lying in a manger. And then look at this. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts. So all of a sudden after the the shepherds delivered, I'm sorry, the angel delivered this message to the shepherds. And they said, there's there's this there's a savior that has come. You need to go and you need to see it. All of a sudden, this this declaration of good news was such good news that angels appeared everywhere. And look what happens. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying. Now, when this multitude, this word multitude is given to us, this means um, more than you could ever imagine. This is thousands upon thousands upon thousands. All of a sudden. They're just kind of looking at this and then thousands upon thousands upon thousands of angels appear in in the sky and they all start singing glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Can you imagine the sheer volume of what this must have been like? 
I mean, this must have just been breathtaking, inspiring, no doubt, whenever they see multitudes of heavenly hosts of angels praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. Whenever the announcement happens, worship follows. Whenever the announcement that the gospel of Christ is being given to us, worship follows. And so here's what I want you to consider. The gift to us in Jesus's birth is that we all get to join in with all creation, the angels, the shepherds, Mary and Joseph, all the people in bringing glory to Christ. One of the biggest things about the birth of Jesus is, yes, that he came to save us from our sins and we can be saved. But one of the even more kind of greater things about it is not that it's just about us, but that it's really more about his glory. It's more about all of creation, understanding the gospel and joining in to send worship up to heaven. So it is about us. It is about our, our salvation. But more than that. It's about him receiving worship. It's about him receiving worship. The volume of praise here is absolutely astounding. John Piper, when he's commenting on verse 13, says, One angel can tell the news of great joy. It takes an army of heaven to shout what it's about. God's glory and our peace. I love that. It takes an an army of heaven to shout what it's all about. Multitudes. Now here's... Here's what I'm hoping will be our inspiration as we're going into this new year, as we're going into 2012, as you're going back to your homes for for the rest of Christmas and you're going to hang out with your crazy family. This is what I'm hoping is that when we see a multitude of worshipers praising God, though they are angels, I'm hoping that as we consider the fact that if he is our savior, our Christ, and today maybe you want to say he's going to be my Lord. I'm going to give him my entire life, unyielding worship, that we would see a multitude and we would say, that's inspirational. I want to see a multitude of worshipers, not of angels, but of the children of God. I want to go and make multitudes of disciples. Notice here the response of the shepherds. Verse 15, when the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go. We got to go see this. We got to go. We something has to be done. And I think that's the inspiration for us all. That is the exact response of us all. The message has been told to us. He's been told that he's not only our savior, not only our Christ, but he's also our Lord. Our right response is not cultural Christianity in Southern life, which is come here on Sunday, do our little deal, go back and, you know, do everything be as Filled with information about everything else besides Jesus as we can. Know as much as we can about popular culture and football and blah, blah, blah. That's not our right response. I'm not saying football is bad. I like football. All right. But our right response is to go out and be filled with the spirit. Walking out as worshipers. Jesus is not just my savior, but my Lord. And now my life is going to be filled with unyielding worship for him. I want every act I do, every decision I make, every thought I have to be worship to Christ. And that's what he wants for you. Action. Let us go. You're going to have an opportunity today to talk about Jesus.
it's Christmas. There's a perfect leeway. Oh, it's Christmas. Can I talk about Jesus? I mean, you don't have to talk about it. It's really simple to talk about Jesus with somebody on Christmas. And more than likely, you're going to have an opportunity to talk with someone who doesn't know Jesus about Jesus. And here's the deal. If he's your savior and your Lord, he's your Lord. Why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you want to make as many disciples as possible? Why wouldn't you want everybody to understand what you understand? Why wouldn't you want everybody to know the sweetness of knowing Christ the way that you know Christ? One last thing I'm going to close with, and then we'll go into our time of worship. This is, uh, this is Spurgeon. Spurgeon's awesome. And one Christmas Eve, he was preaching uh, to, his, to his congregation, and he said this in his sermon. Um, talking to people who were Christians about uh, Christmas Day and enjoying Christmas Day. This is what he tells them. Feast, Christians. Feast. You have a right to feast. Go to the house of feasting tomorrow. Celebrate your Savior's birth. Do not be ashamed to be glad. You have a right to be happy. Solomon says, go thy way, eat thy bread with joy and drink thy wine with a merry heart. For God now accepteth thy works. Let thy garments be always white and let thy head lack no ointment. Religion was never designed to make your pleasures less. Recollect that your master ate butter and honey. Go your way. Rejoice tomorrow. And here we are. This is for us Christmas Day. But in your feasting, think of the man of Bethlehem. Think of Jesus. Let him have a place in your hearts. Give him the glory. Think of the virgin who conceived him, but think most of all of the man born and the child given. I mean, today is about a celebration. We remember the giving of our Savior, and there's reason to celebrate. So this isn't like a, a somber day where we're, we, we have to feel bad about having things. This is, this is Christmas. It's a celebration for our Savior's birth. But as we celebrate and as we get gifts, and I hope you get some good ones if you hadn't already got some good ones. Today's my birthday. I expect great ones from y'all. I'm just kidding. But think on him. Feast and enjoy it. This is not a somber day. This is a celebratory day. But when you celebrate, don't just end in celebration for celebration's sake. Think on Christ. Give him glory. Give him all the worship that he's due because he's your savior. He is your Messiah and he's Christ, but he's also your Lord. I hope you feel encouraged by this text today. We serve a great God who loves us very much. And maybe you've been encouraged to think on this next year. And what are some things you would want to do differently? Maybe what are some things you'd want to change in your life or continue persevering in for this new year? Where Jesus is your Lord, whom you worship. We're going to go into a time of singing. This time of response for us is celebration and worship. I just want you to stand to your feet and worship our great King. So let's stand.
Jesus, we thank you so much for this day where we can worship you, where we can really feast and celebrate and be with family and have a great time as we worship you. But Lord, let this be also a day of challenge and encouragement where we say, Lord, I believe you as my savior, but there are areas of my life that you're not Lord. And I want you to be Lord of those life. Let this be a time where we are going to say. Every part of my life is yours, God. I'm not holding anything back anymore. Unyielding worship is my declaration to you. And may we be encouraged by thinking on the multitudes who give glory to God that we want to do the same thing. We want to be a part of the multitude and we want to make more disciples to be part of the multitude. Be with us now as we worship our great king. I pray this in Jesus name. Amen.